Growing up in Ethiopia, there's no such thing as bringing your dog inside your home or having them live inside. This is Little America, a show about the immigrant experience, one story at a time. I'm your host, Kamal Nanjiani. Okay, I'm going to keep this introduction real simple because today we have a classic shaggy dog story full of actual shaggy dogs. Here's Emma Gross. You know how there are cat people and dog people and extra dog people? Dawit Hale is the most dog person. All right, so we're lock and loaded. Usually what I like to do is, you know, have an Instagram story where most of my clients, you know, follow me there. So I like to post how my day is going to start. Um, and here it goes. Three, two, one. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. You feel me? We about to go to the dog park. I have a consultation. He's a husky. His name is Simba. Dawit is the owner of A-Team Dog Training in Pasadena, California. A-team like the TV show with Mr. T. When it comes to dog training, Dawit prefers the difficult cases. Yes, I specialize in behavioral modification, whether it be human aggression, dog aggression, whether it be anxiety, fear-based aggression, you know, any type of behavioral cases, that's where, you know, I focus my training on. Dawit has big curly hair and wears head-to-toe athleisure, often in neon colors. He drives around in a black Jeep Wrangler with a spare tire cover that says good vibes. Usually there's a pack of dogs in the back. They live with Dowie while he trains them. Okay, so we got the squad here, Archie, Bubo, and Darcy. Darcy and Bubo, were, I'm doing fine tuning, but with Archie, actually had to leave Old Town Pasadena because he was getting extremely human aggressive. I had a lot of close calls with him, so yeah. Unlike other trainers I've seen on social media, with Dowie, you get a pretty raw look at the reality of working with tough dogs. You see her teeth? She just snarled. God damn. God damn, Gracie. She's literally snarling. This happens sometimes. A video cuts out in the middle when something gets out of hand. But Dawit says it's all part of the process. There's no dog he can't handle. Although, there was this one dog, Whirly, a little black sheepdog that gave Dawit a particularly hard time. So let me tell you guys one thing. I got a bunch of dogs in this place, right? Whirly's the second dominant dog in this facility. Only second to my dog, because my dog, he's a big German Shepherd. You would have no idea Whirly was one of the most aggressive dogs in the pack. He looks like a stuffed animal. But Dawid explains you can't judge a dog by its fluffiness. So we got Whirly, guys. He's a good boy, but he's just that smart. You know, he's a working dog. And with working dogs, we always say, Every, all the attributes is, is not normal. It's, it's, it's advanced level. Faster, more, you know, more alpha. So he's doing good. He's doing good. But trust me, guys, he is testing Yo. us. Dawit has a three-month wait list of people and their difficult dogs. Part of his success is his Instagram videos, where you can see dogs transform from unruly hellions into pets that can go and live with families. The other reason his waitlist is so long is because Dawit is one of those rare trainers who specializes in dogs who are violent. He's really the last stop. 
And Dawit's willing to train these dogs because he has a deep empathy for them. Just like people, dogs can have, you know, trauma. They have feelings. They are allowed to, you know, not be perfect and they need help. Anything that's living, so it's not always perfect, perfect. Dawit's love of dogs is surprising given how he grew up. Growing up in Ethiopia, there's no such thing as bringing your dog inside your home or, you know, having them live inside. For us, we just see dogs as just low. You know, that's why we call them wisha. You know, if so, someone will call you wisha, like you're a dog. You know, that means you're, you're low, you're dirty. You know, you're just a street dog. It's a huge insult. People will fight over it. You know, it's almost close to the F word. And people did fight over it. As Dawit made his way from a culture that wants nothing to do with dogs to a life devoted to them. Dawit grew up in the capital of Ethiopia, Addis Ababa. His father worked in tourism, and the family was fairly well off, which was good because Dawit has 10 siblings. His memories of Ethiopia are of playing tetherball and marbles in the streets, walking to school past mud and grass houses, spotting the occasional hyena. But they're also of this older man he used to hang out with. That man was the one person who saw dogs differently than everyone else. His name is Ababa. He is just, it's pretty much that he's the dog whisperer. You know, he's the dog whisperer of Ethiopia. But there's no such thing there. But now when I think about it deep down, he understood dogs. He understood wild dogs, you know. So he used to have a lot of them and he used to keep the peace with them. And he put shock into people because his dogs do not attack anything. They're very well-tempered. You can say they're tamed. Each day after school, Dawit and one or two of his siblings would take a walk from the city out to Ababe's house. When we walk into him, it's like a 30-minute walk. And when you go there, it's like country. It's like country lifestyle, right? You got cows there. You got a bunch of, like, you know, animals. And of course, dogs, more than 30 of them. The kids would help Ababa feed the dogs and take them out for pack walks. He used to teach us things like, oh, you know, that is the leader, you know, that's the dog that, you know, makes sure everything is okay. That's the beta dog, that's the baby, you know. And then I was just so amazed, like, oh my God, they're all following suit, like, this is amazing. And it would like, you know, change the direction, and then he would call the alpha to like walk this way and everyone would follow suit. It was shocking to me, like, they're smart enough, they can kind of, like, they have order, they have their own world. I felt, like, so alive, but it was just like a hobby, right? I still got to go home, you know, and at home, it's like, what, you wish I? You, you hanged out with Wisha and that made you happy? Hanging out with dogs did make him happy. But then, when Dawit was around 11 years old, his life changed. And what's important to know is that although Dawit was born in Ethiopia... His family is Eritrean. Dawit told me his parents had moved to Addis Ababa for school back in the 70s, when Eritrea used to be part of Ethiopia. They began raising a family and built their life in the capital. In 1993, Eritrea gained independence. But because Eritrean and Ethiopian cultures are so blended, many Eritreans just stayed in Ethiopia, including Dawit's family. I always try to equate it with something like North Korea, and South Korea, there's like border war, but you know, they both speak the same language, you know, 
It's the same with Ethiopian and Eritrean. You know, we were we speak we have the same alphabetical letters. We eat we have the same cultural food, nothing different. The slang, the word itself is is similar. But sometimes when you're close like that, a little friction just blows up. And then 1998, I don't know how it started, but border war started. This gets a little complicated, but Eritrea had fought a war for its independence, and there remained a dispute about the border. In 1998, a series of border skirmishes escalated into what's known as the Eritrean-Ethiopian War. In retaliation, the Ethiopian government started forcibly removing Eritreans from the country. Dawit said the first group they targeted were established people in business and government, like his dad. I vividly remember how it happened. And I remember one morning, just another morning, we're getting ready for school. You know, they told my dad, you know, we were eating breakfast, we were getting ready for school. They were like, are you Mr. Burhani? Burhani is my dad, you know. Um, like, yeah, grab, you, you need to go. You need to go. And it's like they escort you out from your house. So you lose your property, your house, your asset, your love, everything is just gone. We were playing the day before, the following day, nothing. We got dropped off at night. We slept in the desert. You got like at least 2,000 people sleeping in the desert. And that uh, between uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea after the drop off. Like you got your suitcase dragging, trying 10 kilometers, trying to get to the Eritrean side and hope, hopefully you don't get blown up. Dawit's family made it to Eritrea, but once they got there, the government was drafting practically everyone to fight in this ongoing war, including children. Like kids went to school, and I'm talking about kindergarten level. They would just give a notice to your parents, and then they'll schedule a day for you to be picked up. Dawit's parents realized they had to escape again. He said they took what money they had left and bribed the government for exit visas. But the visas came in one by one, so Dawit's parents were forced to send their children out of Eritrea in small groups. Dawit told me he was in the first group, with his older brother Johannes and his younger sister Bethel. They'd never been away from their parents before. When I left, when all three of us, when we left, our parents said our goodbye and they start walking away and we kind of went into the airport. I mean, I got emotional. My sister got emotional. Johannes was like, he's the older one a little bit. So he, you can tell his voice, he was scared too, but he was just like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, guys. Dawid's parents had arranged for their children to go to a place where they knew a couple people and had heard there was an Ethiopian community. Pasadena, California. I mean, it was it was nuts. It was nuts. And you got to understand, we're coming from... You know, it's a little bit modern now, but we're coming from Ethiopia. We come from Eritrea, you know, so it's like being dropped off in LAX. And I mean, the neon lights and like freaking bridges over bridges, um, like cars going underneath parking lot, freeways. I remember when we got into a car and we got onto the freeway, I thought I was going to die. Like we went to the movies it was just a huge the sound. It was like, what the heck is this? It's like, like every step became a cultural shock. One of the strangest things he saw was Americans with their dogs. So, f- first of all, I couldn't make sense of it because 
was like, what the heck? The dog is on the leash. Why, why that person? Did it capture it? I thought the dog was captured. Dawi continued to adjust to America. He enrolled in school. He learned English. In the spring of that year, his father arrived in Pasadena, then more of his siblings, then his mother. Dawit said it took a year and a half, but finally the family was reunited. And he was at that age when kids are very adaptive, and they want to fit in. Dawit started asking to have sleepovers. He ate pizza. He joined the football team. As he grew up, his parents began to press him about his future and what career path he wanted to take. My parents wanted me to be like, yo, you need to be, you know, you want to be a doctor and things like that. But once I told him like, hey, you know, I like English, I like writing and things like that. And then my mom was like, oh, you can be a lawyer. Dawit ignored this suggestion. He graduated high school and in college, he got a degree in English and his parents were not happy. They were on my neck. So they were already like, hello, Dawit, you know, you graduated. You know, what's going on? You know, what are you going to do with your life? You, you know, lawyer, right? You're going to be a lawyer, right? You're still not in law school, yeah? And you know, what's going on? So he says he took on an internship at a law firm to placate his parents. But it was not the right fit. I'm seeing like all these lawyers coming in and out, miserable. They're like cussing at each other and things like that. It was like, where's the file? And it's like... The whole world was like kind of zooming out of me. I was like, oh, my God, what have I gotten into? Like, I wasted my college years. I wasted my life. And then at home, my parents are expecting me to become this, which I'd rather die than do this kind of stuff. Dawit knew he didn't want to be a lawyer, but he didn't know what he wanted to do instead. He was having the common uncertainty of a college grad standing at the gates to the future. Except there was a deeper identity crisis. For me, I've just been like, rah, rah, yes, you know, enter the American culture, all the, I was like at college, I was a, you know, I, I was in the frat, you know, <laughs> I was SAE. I went, I mean, full speed, yo. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I was just like, I lost, you know, you know, my culture. Then it's like, Everything was just coming up to dead end. And I was like, bro, this, I feel like I'm not myself. You know, I don't know who I am. And this is where, like, then it leads me back to, like, okay, I got to go to Ethiopia. I went there, you know, just was taking taking everything in, you know, solo, solo, just kind of walking around, um, trying to, like, you know, because I just had this gray area of who I am. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is this is crazy. Uh, like it felt it felt like I was like reconnecting with my true self. It was the spring of 2015 when Dawit walked through Addis Ababa. He visited his elementary school. He saw his old tetherball courts. He stopped in front of his house, remembering the way his siblings had fought over marbles and the best seat on the couch. Despite his family's fraught history with Ethiopia, Dawit was happy to see the places he'd left behind. At one point, Dawit decided to take the dirt road that he and his siblings would walk each day after school. It had been 17 years since he had made this journey. He rounded the bend. And guess what? He still was there. A decade and a half and a world of hardships and changes later, Dawit walked up to Ababa, the man who taught him to love dogs. He was hunched over, cataracts in his eyes. 
I said, you know, you remember Gash Barahani? You know, Gash Barahani is my dad. He's like, oh, yes, yes, I'm one of his kids. It was like, we used to help you with your wild dogs. You know, how's everything? You know, I'm just coming visiting. Where'd you guys go? You know, and I told him everything, how, you know, we got deported and then ended up in America. Now I just came back to visit. Uh, and he was like, yeah, like, how are you doing? It's like, well, you know, same old, I'm old now. It's not a good state um, because like he doesn't have that, that land anymore. There's like, you know, a bunch of huts built in now. So that land is not his. He's just like by himself. So I was like, what happened to your dogs? How are you? And things like that. Well, the dogs are no longer here. You know, uh, people that they didn't want them. The last time Dawit had been with Ababa, he was just a kid. Now he was an adult looking for guidance. When I told him like how I felt my situation as far as like being something that I am not, and trying to find myself, it was like, well, you said you were used to be happy feeding the dogs. And I told him like how he helped me, you know, learning about like animal behavior, dog behavior. And as he was speaking, all of a sudden, things like this clicked in my head. Everything became clarity. I just couldn't put it in words because what happened was I immediately knew how much dogs are valued in the US. Dogs are everything. They're treated like kids. Actually, a family is not considered a family without a dog. I used to tell him that. And I was like, and he said this one of the most, uh, I mean, it just stayed with me. He was like, when you were young and I was living here and I had all these dogs and I used to show you guys on how dog psychology work and things like that, the society didn't accept it. However, now you're living in a country where dogs are treated just like humans. It's your passion. Why wouldn't you want to do that? This is why I'm saying he was God sent. When he was telling me that, I was just so grateful that my life was saved because I found my calling. When I came back, the first thing I wanted to do was like go to shelters because that's where the hopeless cases were. You know, either the dogs are going to be put down. I mean, there's a lot that even I can't even get to and got put down. And sometimes, I mean, some of them will be like puppies that will be put down, you know? So I wanted to go to the worst case scenario because that will just, it was fueling the fire that was inside of me. Like, you know, I remember I always like this. I always point this out. Like, I remember like, Used to ask to one of the volunteers, like, why is this dog here? Why is it? Oh, I got surrendered. It was barking at a baby. I was like, okay. Uh, and he's here? Like, yeah. Got owner surrendered. I'm like, wow. Okay. And I had a lot of those moments where, oh, this dog, you know, uh, doesn't do well outside. You know, barks at people. Uh, it's peeing all over the house. I was like, and I'm thinking like, uh, that can be fixed. That's not a problem. And yet this dog's life is in jeopardy right now. You know what I'm saying? Because people couldn't understand dogs. But Dawit could. 
He started going to shelters every day, thinking about how he could spend his days with dogs. Sometimes he had to sneak out in the mornings because his parents didn't know about his new career pursuits. He put off telling them. And when he finally did, they were furious. I got kicked out. I was living like at a mo- uh, like motel, right? Sometimes I would live at my brother. Like for, I would stay a couple of nights at, at his place, and then I'll stay. And I didn't tell this. My brothers know this, but uh, I didn't tell like no one. Like, but there's been nights where I stayed in my car. I like slept in my car. But you know that motivated me like and that was the thing that was pushing me right uh, like either gonna do this because i was scared to like start a company but the pressure you know the rejection like i felt like i was a nomad i didn't have the money to do any ads or anything like that so my best approach was i just had to go directly to people i got out of my car and I went inside the dog park and there's like dogs and people. I was smiling at people, people more about like, you know, playing with their dogs. They didn't like, who's this weird guy smiling at us? I was like, oh crap, okay, keep going, keep going. When I like was walking around uh, the dog park and like trying to find uh, like a friendly face that I can talk to, I found a couple. And when I saw them, they smiled at me immediately, both of them. They had a a shepherd uh, Malinois mix, a Belgian Malinois shepherd mix. Uh, Her name is Indy. Shout out to Indy. You know, I follow her on Instagram too. So they said, you know, when she's on the leash, she can be very reactive uh, around the neighborhood. Sometimes we have to apologize to like our neighbors when we're walking her down uh, because she tends to lunge. And I told him like, hey, you know, uh, I know this sounds weird, but I'm giving out free training for my first time client. I'm starting a new dog training company and I would love to get your contact and I'll give you a free training session. You know, I expected like a no or like maybe not, we're not interested in things like that. And they're like, yeah, when can we sign? I went to their house. And right away, that was the start of my company, realizing my dream. That first training, even though it was free, I didn't make any money on that. It didn't matter. It just felt like I, my purpose, I did it. Dawit printed a purple and white A-Team dog training t-shirt and hat, which became his uniform and advertising. He eventually set up shop in Pasadena. He got a Jeep and turned it into his mobile canine unit. Today, Dawit says he's nurtured hundreds of dogs including Whirly, the little black sheepdog I told you about earlier. And I've got something to confess. Whirly was my dog. That's how I met Dawit. When my partner and I got Whirly, we had no idea what we were getting into. Whirly is a herding dog, and that made him aggressive because he was constantly trying to shepherd things. Kids on a playground, waiters at restaurants. It sounds funny that he thought everything was a flock of sheep, But imagine a 30-pound dog running full speed and tackling a child. Whirly was a lawsuit waiting to happen. We tried three trainers. None of them worked. And then we found Dawit. Does that, does it look like he's leading or does that look okay? That looks okay. Okay. It looks okay. He's right on his uh, left leg by the knee. That's good. We worked with Dawit for about nine months. I like his ear. I love his ear. Just kind of going backwards. Sure, you can test them out. 
Nice. Down. Nice. What a baller. Yes. Not, not me. Good. And you're going to stop for him? Baller. Baller. Very good. Very good. I am pleased to announce that Whirly is now allowed in restaurants. He can be near children. But he still has a long way to go. Dawit is patient. He knows bad dogs are not just bad dogs. I kept seeing dogs being transformed. Like I'm training, let's say, a dog that was abused by humans and things like that. And I'll work through, you know, I'll train the dog, I'll do rehab and things like that. And the final product, the dog is able to let it go. Now look at this dog. It's like, oh my God, he has swagger now. He's walking around like the city is like no big deal. A skateboard passed by, no big deal. When you really understand them, you see that they feel. They feel just like a human. They get insecure just like us. I learned so much from dogs about myself. Like there's fear, there's love, there's affection, there's unsureness, uncertainty, you know? They experience all the emotion. It actually allowed me to go deeper into myself and be like, I can also like kind of help myself too. Like, okay, I need to work through some some of my, you know, traumas from like the whole process in Ethiopia, the whole where we have to like cross the minefields and things like that and Badme border. You know, because I felt like, man, I was just so close to something bad happening. And it just kind of like, I used to be just... Very, you know, not like, you know, um, just fearful or anything like that. But I used to just kind of like have this thing like, what if this happened? What if this happened? It just kind of allowed me to understand that I'm okay. A few years into starting his business, Dawit managed to reconcile with his parents. It was at a Christmas dinner one year with the whole family. By this point, he had five stars on Yelp, an assistant, and a wait list of future clients. But he still didn't know how his parents felt about the business he had built until everyone was sitting down at the dinner table. Immediately, my parents were like, hey, Dawit, we just want you to know that we're very happy for you. And I'm sorry, you know, uh, we did not like, you know, for you to work with your dog, but we we care, you know. And this is like they said in Amharic, but they said that, you know, they care, you know. We just didn't want you to end up on the street or to make the biggest mistake. But now we were wrong, you know, and we're learning. That's one of the things that I loved was like, we're learning, like I, we just didn't know. Cause for them, it's like, they don't have dogs, you know, they've never had dogs. So we're learning, you know, we're new to this culture. So we're trying to understand this and um, we're learning. This was a moment of mutual understanding. Because by now, Dawit also knew where they were coming from. Because they never wanted to feel that insecure, you know? Because what that does, being deported, you know, it's what you thought it was real. Like, we had a good life in Ethiopia. I mean, we were, my parents were well-to-do. You know, we didn't struggle. We lived in the capital. You know, usually if you're living in the capital, that means you're doing well. Uh, That was just taken away from them destroyed you know it's for the way i look at it is you know it's trauma you know they never wanted to feel um that insecure that hopeless you know we came close to dying on numerous situation 
it was just traumatic for them. So I told them, I understand and I forgive you, you know, and they like cried. It was very huge emotional thing, but they're so proud of me. On a chilly day in early 2018, Dawit knocked on the door of his parents' house. With him was a 102-pound German Shepherd. Dawit explained to his parents that this was his dog, a dog he had rescued and that he was keeping. His name was Zalalem, which in Amharic means forever. Dawit showed his parents how Zalalem could sit, stay, and bark on command, how he understood lie down, and how he liked to rest his head on your knee. After that, for the first time, Dawit's parents invited a dog into their house. Their son came in behind them, and the three sat down for lunch, Zalalem at their feet. Body, what's good? What's good? Uh, happy Monday, Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Another day, bro. It's a privilege. You feel me? I got a consultation right now. It's a bull terrier, human aggressive. I haven't seen those in a while, so we'll see what's up with that dog. You feel me? I think that's them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That energy is intense. Watch. Let's go. Little America is an Apple TV Plus podcast from Epic, produced in conjunction with the Vox Media Podcast Network. This story was reported by Emma Gross. Our editor is Lisa Suep. Our engineer is Adrian Lilly. Brandon McFarland composed the show's theme song. Emma Gross is our senior producer. Zach Mack is our showrunner. Nishad Kurwa and Josh Behrman are the executive producers. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch Little America on Apple TV Plus where available. Season 2 of Little America premieres on Apple TV Plus on December 9th.